This evening, I would like for us to look a little bit, for a little bit, about another thing that can be lost. We've talked about a lost church. We've talked about a lost book. Tonight, I want us to talk about a lost opportunity. Those are some things that that we can lose. I'll never forget, a number of years ago, a preacher who is now deceased, um, was telling me a story of something that, well, myself and others, a story of something that occurred to him. He had been in a gospel meeting. He had just returned home, and he had a, a message on his answer machine. He hit it. He was tired after a long drive, and the message was a man down the street that said, hey, I'd like to talk to you um, about the Bible. I think I'm ready to be baptized, and, and I'd like to, to, to meet with you. Well, he had just gotten back in town. He was tired. He wanted to go have supper with his wife. He hadn't seen her in a week. And so instead of uh, acting immediately on that phone call message that he had received, he decided to go downtown. He drove past the house of the man who called. And they had supper together and spent time visiting. And after a while, they headed back home. And as they headed back home, they saw an ambulance at that house. And he said, I got out of the car, drove one down to the house, I got out of the car and I ran back up the street only to learn that the man had suffered a heart attack and died. He said, I will never forget that as long as I live. Isn't that sad? Now, I know we can probably place some obligation on that man for putting off. Maybe he knew better at an earlier time and should have acted on it sooner. But he put off, and that was the situation, and a man who could have helped him didn't because of a missed opportunity. And I dare say that all of us have had times where we regretted missing out on some opportunity in our life. If I would have only said, if I would have only done, but the time is gone, it's too late, it cannot be undone. And so we, we lost. There's a statement made in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16 that sometimes is a little bit confusing to people if they don't understand uh, the word that is used. But it says to redeem the time for the days are evil. How can we redeem time? I, I thought to redeem something means that you buy it. And, um, you know, to redeem time, Jesus redeemed us from, from Satan and he bought us back. How can you buy back time? Well, you can't. Time gone is time gone. So why would Paul say that we are to redeem time if if we can't buy it back? Well, we can buy it up. And that's the, the idea that I think he's talking about in this passage. We can buy up time. In other words, we can make the very best use of the time that we have. And that's what God has asked us to do. When he says to redeem the time because the days are evil, he's saying, folks, you better use your time wisely. And so I want us to look at that tonight. And I want us to show, and I just want to do two things. Show how people have missed opportunities in the past so that you'll understand you're not uh, all by yourself in this. We all have had trouble with this. And then talk about a couple areas where we need to maybe make sure that we're not missing out on opportunity. If you go back to the Old Testament, the very first example of man, 
Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. What an opportunity they missed. They had something that none of the rest of us will ever have and will have never experienced, but they had a relationship with God without sin ever entering their mind or their actions. For a while in the garden, they existed in full fellowship with God and, and had, that fellowship had never been broken by sin. We don't, we don't have that, never have, uh, because of our, our sin. Uh, of course, we weren't born in sin, but when we became accountable, we chose to sin. From that time, we've not had that relationship with God. But there were more than just the relationship with God. The world was different. Everything was different. The world itself is in a fallen state. Adam and Eve lived in a pristine world. And due to sin, God brought various curses into this world, one of which is death, the illness and the suffering and all those things that go with that. Another thing that he brought into this world was hardship in our labor, the thistles and all the weeds and the things that make our labor a little more difficult. Um, But there was a time when man existed without all of that, without sin, without guilt, without all the problems of life, and then they blew it. They succumbed to temptation, and they sinned, and they paid the consequences. And I know that sometimes we might be a little hard on Adam and Eve and say, boy, they sure did ruin it for us. Well, if we would put ourselves in their position, we would have done the same thing. None of us would have done it, done it right. And then there's the people in Noah's day. Just move over a few chapters, Genesis chapter 6. And you have those folks living in a world um, that they chose wickedness. And because of that wickedness, God said, I'm going to destroy the world. And he gave them time to repent. And he sent a, a preacher among them, Noah, a preacher of righteousness, according to Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. And he preached to them and they would not respond. And, and in First Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, it, it tells us, 20 and 21, or verse 18 through 21, it tells us that they had heard the message and... And they had been preached to, but they would not listen. What an opportunity they missed. They could have been spared, but they would not take advantage of the opportunity. The thief on the cross in the New Testament. I know there are two thieves, and we often talk about the one that accepted Jesus and the atonement that he had to offer and, and cried out to him for help. But what about the other one? He was there. He saw all the things that the other thief saw. And he responded differently. He let an opportunity pass by at death's door. I've heard, have you heard people say this? There are no atheists in foxholes. Have you ever heard that expression? What they mean by that is when you face death square in the face, you'll come round. You know, you, you won't, you won't deny God in the face of death. You'll, you'll forget about your atheism or your agnosticism or you'll forget about your sins and you'll just come to God because when you face death, no, that's not true. I wish it were true, but it's not. People can so harden themselves by the sin that they live in that they can die with a raised fist to God. Just because you're staring death in the face doesn't mean that you'll buy up your opportunities. Here's a man 
who is staring death hours away. Jesus, the Savior, is right beside him. And all he can do is rail on him. He can't cry out for help. He can't bring himself to ask for forgiveness. He, he rails on Jesus. Misses an opportunity, whereas the other man took advantage of it. You can read in your Bible in Acts chapter 24 of a man by the name of Felix. He was an unrighteous man, had a few self-control issues himself. And it's interesting that Paul preached to him about those very things. Self-control and the judgment to come. Felix trembled. But he didn't change. He didn't listen to Paul and obey Paul's words. He just sent him away and said, you know... If there's a more convenient time someday, someday I'll call for you again and we'll continue this discussion. I don't know if that ever came. Missed opportunity. The Bible's full of people that missed great opportunities. These are a few of them. But now let's talk about some that maybe we might be missing today. And let's start with opportunities with regard to raising our children. I know you love your children. I don't think that any of us here would think twice about laying down our life for our kids. We wouldn't have to think about that. It would just be a a reflexive action. It would be done because we love them to that extent. But do we love our children when we fail to prepare them for heaven? Is that a proper expression of love? Or is it a wrong kind or a misguided love? I don't doubt that people love their their children, but they're short-sighted in the love and the way they express their love to their children. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Because if we prepare our young people to grow up and be fine, outstanding citizens who can participate in all sorts of extracurricular things and they grow up being the most popular kid in the neighborhood... But if we do not prepare that child to meet God, we have failed and we've not shown them the kind of love that we should show them. I can think back to the passage in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 where fathers in particular are told, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. The word admonition or to admonish literally means to put in one's mind. And so God was telling fathers to put into the mind of their children the Lord. Are we doing that? Are we telling people and telling our children about the most important thing? Making money isn't. Having the best kind of job is not. Being able to live in a certain kind of house or drive a certain kind of car or marry a certain kind of person. Those are not the most important things in life. The most important thing in life, and our children need to understand this, is to fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole of man. This is what we're about. I like a couple passages, and I may have shared this when we were talking about a parenting class one time here, but I like two passages from the book of Genesis that if we can apply to a parenting situation. But in Genesis chapter 12, verse 8, this is one passage where it talks about 
Abraham, and he went up and he built an altar and he pitched his tent. And if we could get that right in our homes, we would do well. But I think we've done exactly the opposite. We have pitched our altars and we have built our tents. What I mean by that is that an altar is, you, you take these stones and you build it and you stack them on the top. You don't move that. Once you get it done, it's there. It, it's immovable. And that's the place of worship. And your tent, well, you know, you just kind of tap those down with pegs and they're held there. And you can, you know, if there's a rain and it washes down, you can pick your tent up and move it on this side over here. The tent, if it represents our our everyday life, the the altar representing our relationship to God, that's the way it ought to be. Our relationship to God ought to be built with stone. And our tent, that ought to be movable. But how does it work in our homes? If our social life conflicts with my obligation to God... Which wins, which loses? Which gets moved? Do my children see that my devotion is first and foremost to God or to work or athletics or entertainment or band or you can go down a list of things? Our children need to see that the center of our life the part of our life that does not move is our relationship to God. And if we're not expressing that to our children, we're, we're making a mistake. Let your social life be inconvenienced. Keep God in the center. Let our children see that. Don't miss out on opportunities to do that. In Genesis chapter, tw- or chapter 20 also, um, well, chapter 22, excuse me, there's a, there's a story of Mount Moriah, how Abraham took his son Isaac up on the mountain, raised his hand to stab his son because God commanded him to. He was testing Abraham. Abraham figured, if I kill him, he's a son of promise, so I just guess God will raise him from the dead because God will keep his promise. And so he was about to do it. But I want you to think from Isaac's perspective. If you were Isaac, as hard as that would have been for Abraham to have done, think of Isaac's perspective. How much does your dad love God? My dad would even sacrifice my life for God. That's what I learned from that story. What stories do your children have of their growing up and of their childhood that makes them fully aware that you love God even more than them? I heard a preacher say one time that our children need to understand that we would rather attend their funeral than to see them be unfaithful to God. That's the kind of love we should have for our kids. Do we have that kind of love? Are we missing opportunities? Do our children hear us say one thing, and then by our actions, they know that's not really what we mean. Have you met parents that say one thing and don't really mean what they say? I call them counters. Because they'll say, pick pick that up. 
I said, pick that up. Child just looks at him. Pick that up. One, two, and the child will act on three. And you know why? Because they know you don't mean a thing you said before you said three. Archer... Years ago, when, when they had cigarette commercials on television, do you remember that? That's been years ago. There was one commercial where this little boy was doing everything his dad did. And his dad came and he sat down under a tree and the little boy plopped down under a tree. And the dad crossed his legs and the little boy crossed his legs just like his dad did. Everything the dad did, that little boy was watching and, and he did it. And then finally, the dad picked out a, a cigarette out of a pack and laid the cigarette pack down and then the little boy's looking at him and then just looks at the, the package of cigarettes. And then the point is made. What do you think that boy's going to do? Our children follow our example. They follow our lead. Folks, don't miss the opportunities that you have with your children to teach them the most important lesson in life. In First Samuel... Chapter 3 and verse 13, also second, First Samuel chapter 2, there's the story of, of Eli, and he had good children, or, or he was a good man himself, but his children were terrible. And God told Samuel that Eli would be punished because he would not restrain his children. Yet we read of Eli saying, don't do this. This is terrible. Words come to me that you guys are doing this, and and that's wrong. Stop it. But the key is that he said that when he was very old. Where were those words when those boys were younger? Apparently they didn't exist. And that's why Samuel was, or or, uh, Eli was to be faulted. Don't let your children grow up, and then all of a sudden you wake up one day and say, I should have taught them about God. Can't understand why they don't want to go to church anymore. Teach them to love God. You'll regret missing that opportunity if you don't. Also, don't miss opportunities to serve the Lord. There are times when, well, Galatians 6 and verse 10 says that as much, uh, that as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men especially under those of the household of faith. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it gives just kind of a summary of the life of Jesus. And one of the things it said, and we stress this during camp week, but one of the things that it was said of Jesus is that he went about doing good. That's just, that's the summary of his life. He just did good. Folks, let's not miss opportunities to do good, to serve in the name of Jesus. Let's do what we can do. Let's act, let's be kind and considerate to people. Do you understand that kindness can draw people to the cross of Christ? In Romans 2 and verse 4, Paul said that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Now, I know there's an element of threat and of danger And I understand what hell is and the terror of the Lord persuades men. But Paul also said, it's just, it's God's goodness that draws men unto him. 
If I want to be a light in a dark world, I need to be kind. I need to be good to people. I don't need to be the person that is just hot-headed and hard-hearted and inconsiderate. I need to be a person who is always trying to look for a way to speak for Jesus, to use my hands to minister for Him, to use my feet to go where He would go. Let's be that person. Let's not miss opportunities to serve the Lord. And then... Let's not miss opportunities to speak for the Lord. In 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9, there were some lepers. Well, the, the Israel was being besieged by the Syrians. And there were some leopards, le, leopards. There were some lepers in basically no man's land. They, they can't go into the city of Jerusalem because they're lepers. And then the enemy's over here, and so they're, they're outside the city, and there's nowhere to go. And they are starving to death because the Syrians had besieged the city, and they're not getting any food. And so they finally decided, well, what are we going to do? Well, we can't go in the city. We're lepers. Let's just go to the camp of Syria, and let's hope for the best. And so those lepers got up, and they went into the camp of Syria. Unbeknownst to them, God caused the Syrians to, to flee. They thought that they were being attacked when they weren't. And they fled and left everything there. Their tents were still up. They, they were just gone. It was just empty, desolate. And these guys thought it was like, this is Christmas. You know, we come in, and, and there's food, and there's stuff everywhere. There's clothes. And, and so they're just having a a field day, stuffing themselves, eating and, and rejoicing. And then one of them stops and he says, wait, this is not right. This is a day of good news. How can we not tell it? We have to go to Jerusalem and tell the people that the enemy is gone. And so they stop tending to their own needs and they went and told the good news. We need to be people who speak the good news. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this vision in the throne room of heaven, and, and uh, God asks the question, Who will I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah, realizing how sinful he was, but how blessed he was because God is a gracious God, how indebted he was to God, he said... <laughs> Here am I. Send me. If we could only develop that attitude. Something needs done? I'm indebted to God. Just ask me. I'll do it. I can't say I'm too busy to do the Lord's work because, after all, look what He's done for me. He's saved me from hell and saved me for heaven. How can I tell Him no? Yes, I'll help. Let's speak for the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The psalmist said, when's the last time you told somebody what it means to be a child of God and the blessings that come from that, that privilege? Folks, let's realize that if we're not careful, life can pass us by. It's true. I, re I remember older people saying how fast time goes. I remember that. Now I realize they were probably about my age when they were saying it. And I realize it too now. Time does. It just flashes by. It goes so quickly. 
I don't want to live my life with regret of having missed so many opportunities to serve God. This young lady here who obeyed the gospel this morning, I'm proud of her. because You know what? I have yet, in all the years that I've preached, I have yet to go to the hospital and sit with someone who is dying and have them say, my only regret in life is that I turned my life over to God too soon. I've never heard anyone say that. On the other hand, I can't begin to tell you how many times I've heard people say, I feel so guilty because I wasted so many years and didn't let God use me as one of his instruments. I've heard people regret that. Let's not live with regrets. Let's make ourselves available to God. Let's buy up the opportunities that we have and allow yourself. And think of this from this standpoint. Think of what a blessing and what an honor it is to be a tool, an instrument in the hand of God. You look at these great men in the Bible and, and all the things that they did and you think, wow, what it would have been like to have been used by God in such a great way. God's still using people. Let him use you to do good and to minister to people. Don't miss the opportunities that this week will present you with. And if you have missed some opportunities in the past, maybe the opportunities you've missed have been to obey the Lord and you haven't done it, and you know you should, why why don't you fix that tonight? Don't miss this opportunity. If you're a child of God already, and you've missed opportunities to turn from your sin, maybe you've missed opportunities to say to your brethren, you know, I've done some things, and I I know you're aware of it, but that's not me anymore. I've changed, and I want you to know that I've changed. Don't don't let this opportunity go, allowing others to think that you're still that same person. Ask God to forgive you and, and acknowledge that to your brethren. If you confess your faults, the Bible says, He's faithful and just to forgive you. If we can be of service to you tonight, whether it's to baptize you into Christ or to, to pray with you that you might be stronger, more faithful, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.